Matthew chapter 12, I said. We're just going to read the end of a story. I'm going to fill you in before we finish on what's happened before to help us understand it. But just want to read a few verses. Jesus has been teaching for quite a little while. Um, There's been some miracles that have happened. And it seems that quite a bit of that has happened in the house. Because towards the end of Matthew 12, we we get this little conversation going on. Um, So let's read it. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd... His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. They couldn't get in. The house is full. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And That's all we're going to talk about. I'll give some more background in a minute as to what happened beforehand. But first thing, what Jesus is doing here is fairly offensive. I think it would be offensive if Jesus is in your house and this happened. And, and, you know, someone said, hey, Jesus, your mum's outside. And Jesus says, who's my mum? You think, rude. (laughs) Imagine in the Middle East. I've looked at this story there. I mean, it's shocking. This is more than rude. It's offensive culturally. Family is everything in many parts of the world. It matters here, but everything functions around family in that part of the world. Blood, our expression, blood is thicker than water, something we don't really say much these days. But in the Middle East, it really is. So on the reasons there can be so many tensions and difficulties and families against each other. So Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, who's... Being, bringing amazing teaching about what the prophets had foretold, etc., etc., about relationships, about forgiveness, all these amazing things Jesus teaches is suddenly rude. I want us to understand that. The crowd would have been shocked. They wouldn't be thinking, what a lovely thing to say. His followers are now his brothers and sisters and his mother, and that's weird. One of which of the disciples thought, well, I'll be the mother then. It wouldn't have been Peter. They'd have been just as confused as everybody else. And and the crowd, there would have been an intake of, he's not going to see his mum? He's not going to honour mum and his brothers? Jesus is the older brother, so it's probably okay that he can just say, oh, younger brothers. Younger brothers in the room? Any younger brothers? Yeah, I'm the older one, so I can't join in. Older brothers can just be a pain, can't they? Because they just, a few nods, yeah. Some of the older brothers are nodding, yeah, I enjoy it. Um, So, you know, the brothers thing isn't a big deal. Jesus is the firstborn, so that's kind of about his mum. That's terrible what Jesus is saying. So why is he talking like this? What's going on? A couple of things that that will help us understand is the the big story from the Bible of of what is happening, God's plan. Um, We'll talk about that first. But then also who he is talking to. Um, who he's addressing makes this particularly powerful and significant. So quickly, um, the beginning of the story of the Bible, the creation, Adam and Eve, what did God want them to be? A family. So looks at Adam, and the, f- the first thing which isn't good in God's creation is Adam is alone. Everything else is good. When we say good, not just kind of nice, thumbs up. Oh, I like the trees. I like the mountains. I've done a good job with the birds and the fish. Hey, that's good. No, good as in righteous. A sense of shalom, kind of a Hebrew word, peace, wholeness, well-being. Every day when God, in the creation story, it was good. 
the first thing that isn't good, and this is before sin and wickedness comes, the first thing which isn't good is man's alone. God looks and says, that's not good, peaceful, righteous. That's not shalom. We were not made to be on our own. The rampant individualism and isolation which is coming to our Western culture is the very thing that's destroying it. The ache and longing that people have, the confusion they have over their identity, the ache and longing they have for love that's leading to all kinds of decisions and things happening. I don't need to go into those now. There's not time. Many of you will know what I mean. That sense of you get to decide who you are, what's right, what fulfills you. You get to desire, you get to fulfill your desires because you have become an individual, a person, the one that knows what's best for you. And we're beginning to see even the erosion of family authority and families knowing what's best for their children. You get to know what's best for you because you're you. And we're individuals and we have rights. Right at the beginning of the story, that's not how God designed it. That we should be alone. That we should be isolated. So God makes Eve to be alongside Adam too, becoming one. And God says, go and reproduce. In other words, be a family. The beginning of the story is about family. Made in God's image. And then sin, wickedness come, Adam and Eve disobey God. We'll jump forward. <coughs> he chooses Abraham, a family. He's got a wife and wider family, but doesn't have a child. And he says, I'm going to give you a child. And through your family, all the families on the earth will be blessed. So God chooses a family that will be a blessing to all the families. This is really important <coughs> highlights in the, in the big story, is that God wants a family. That's what God's design is. That's what Israel was to be. And God uses that kind of language. It's not just in the New Testament that God's described as Father. You'll find it in the Old Testament as well. Because God is a God of love, because he exists in community, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God wants a family who are his, who he can love. That's the big story of the Bible. That's what it's all about, is God wants family. He wants sons and daughters. He wants children. That's what pure love does. Let's have more people like us who we can love. God's not after religion. He's not after a kind of another faith group. He's not after a business or an organization. He wants people in love with him and in relationship with him. We know this. That's the story of the Bible. That's what God is doing. And in this story, it looks like Jesus is bringing shame on his mother and brothers. But actually, he's giving honor to his Father in heaven. Because he says, who is my family? It's those who obey my Father in heaven. We'll come back to what that means in a minute. So actually, Jesus is still talking family here. He's just redefining what that family is. And it could seem to the crowd, hang on, you're dishonoring your mother. But actually, he's honoring his Father who is from heaven. But the religious leaders and many of the people are not receiving Jesus as the one who is from heaven. They're not receiving him as the son of God. Which takes us on to look at who is he addressing? Who is he talking to? What's happened in the story before this point? Well, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, once again are challenging Jesus. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been talking about who he is. They've asked him for a sign And Jesus says, why do you need a sign? Basically because he's there already. And he talks about some of the prophets and how he fulfills the prophets. And they don't like it. 
and they're not receiving him. Earlier in the story, some people have bought uh, a child to him who's being oppressed by a demon and is having mental health and physical issues. And Jesus, with authority, casts that demon out, says, leave him, but the boy needs to be whole. We see Jesus do this again and again with physical illness, even overcoming death. Jesus has come to bring wholeness, to bring that shalom, to overcome evil, to bring some of that peace back. And he does this with this child. The Pharisees turn around and say, oh, he's doing that with wicked power. We recognize Jesus' power. We can't deny it because this boy is now whole. So Jesus has got power, but it's not power from God. Can't be. Must be Satan's power. And this is all in the verses beforehand. And Jesus catches them out. Because he says, well, if I'm doing it with Satan's power, what power do you do it with? Because they would also pray for demons to leave people alone and demons would leave people alone. So Jesus says, well, if I'm doing it with Satan's power, what power are you doing it with? And think about it. If Satan is casting out Satan, well, then he's divided and he wouldn't have power. Any kingdom which is fighting itself isn't a powerful one. So Jesus shows them the nonsense of what they're saying. And in effect, he's saying, therefore, I must be doing this from God. I must be doing this with God's power. And the Pharisees hate it because they're trying to trap him and he's turned their trap back on them. Because Jesus is saying, I really am from God. It can only be God's power that I'm doing these things. And then he says this. It's a few verses before if you want to follow it. If you think the family stuff is shocking, this is even more shocking. Because he then uses the incident of the impure spirit leaving someone under the power of God. He uses it to, to judge the Pharisees. When an impure, verse 43, when an impure spirit comes out of a person... It goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. In other words, that person is whole. Jesus is using picture language. don't, Don't start taking this too literally and thinking if you go to some arid places, you'll see them swarming with demons. Everyone would have understood the picture language that Jesus is talking about. It's only with our kind of more literal minds that we can find passages like this strange. It comes back, the house is clean, but there's nothing new. There's nothing righteous or good replacing the evil that has left. So it goes and finds seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And that final condition of the person is worse than the first. Now, people read this, some Christians read this and think Jesus is literal and it's about an individual person. I'm not saying that that's not the case, or it doesn't have application there, but that's not what Jesus means. Listen to this sentence. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So Jesus is talking about a person's life being like a house. Evil and wickedness and lies and oppression are in that house. The power of God comes and makes the house clean. And then that evil and wickedness in the form of spiritual powers, which we believe in, we believe in a supernatural God, we believe that there's more going on in life than just what we can see with our eyes, and the Bible makes that clear. And if you're going to believe in God, you have to believe that, because you can't see him. So there is a whole other dimension. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying in that house, which is now clean and righteous, the evil spirit comes back and says, oh, it's still empty. Oh, get some friends. Even more wickedness will come back. Who's the house? 
It's the people of God. It's the people in the Old Testament that God had formed, Abraham's heirs, were meant to be God's family, and the religious rulers especially are rejecting the one who's come to make the house clean. They've just seen him come with God's power and make a boy whole. And Jesus says, you're not recognizing that I'm the one from God. You're not recognizing that you've just seen the shalom and peacefulness and healing come from heaven, and you're trying to say Satan's doing it. It it's, makes me want to cry. This is tragic. The very people that were meant to represent God are the very people who see Jesus do something beautiful and good and righteous and exercise God's power to make a young child whole. And they say, oh, it's Satan. Because they can't believe that Jesus is from God. Am, am I explaining this okay? Are you with me so far? So Jesus uses that and tells this picture to say, you, this generation, if you reject me, and he's talking primarily to the religious rulers, your house, I've come to make it clean, and if you don't receive me, more wickedness and evil will come. That's tragic. But there's good news. Because it's right after that that Jesus' mother arrives and brothers and Jesus is in a house, teaching about a house, a home. And he says, no, this is my family. Whoever follows me is the clean house. Whoever does the will of my father are my brothers and sisters. That's what's going on. Powerful judgment, warning against people rejecting him, especially those who had the prophets, especially those who had the promises from God especially those who were told God will send a Messiah, a rescuer, a saviour. And he's saying, if you don't receive me, it's going to get worse. If you don't receive me, you won't stay a clean house. If you don't receive me and tell lies about how I'm doing this, more wickedness and more lies will come. The Bible is really sober on this. If you don't, in the end, receive from who God has sent, Jesus, then God says, well, Your house is empty and more wickedness will come. It's not God sending the wickedness. It's not God being horrible and nasty and torturing. God is saying, I've sent Jesus. I've got a whole story of prophets speaking. One will come, one will come, one will come. And now he comes. And with signs and power, he heals. He makes things whole. It's like the new creation coming, the shalom coming again. The love and peace is just coming out of Jesus all the time, all the time. And sadly, the religious rulers are blind or proud or stubborn and say, oh, you're not from heaven. You grew up in Nazareth. You're just another man. And they don't receive him. And it's not that God's just going to turn away and say, oh, it's okay. They'll catch up eventually. God says, your house will be empty. Jesus' love, mercy is there. And it's healing and making things whole. But if you don't receive him, the one from God... Well, wickedness will just come back and it will be worse. And that's how it works. Not God sending it, but God letting us reap the consequences of our choices. So in one moment, Jesus is saying, that's what it's going to be like for this generation if you don't receive me. And in the very next moment, which is typical of the love, mercy, and grace of God, he says, but there is good news. Because if you obey my Father, if you receive me, you get to be in the family. 
You get to be a son of God. You get to be a child of God. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he takes the opportunity of when his family are at the door to say, hang on, I'm doing something else. I'm making God's family new again. This generation may reject me, but those that want to believe in me can be in my family. It's not just those who have descended from Abraham that get to be in my family. Anyone who does the will of my father. What's the will of the father? It's not not living a good life. It's receiving Jesus and doing what Jesus says. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you get to be in God's family. What this story is about is Jesus summing up the reason he's come. Is Jesus making it clear who he is and why he's come. Is Jesus saying, this is what God is doing. Yeah, there's power here, and yes, I have spiritual power, but I've, not, I've come to make a new family. I've come to say anyone is welcome in, whatever their nationality, background, whatever they've done, whatever their status is, whether they're from a great family or a bad family, whether they're not even in a family because their family broke. If they come to me and receive me, they get to be in God's family. The gospel is God has a family. A people who he loves, a people who say, come in, I know you're broken, I know you've been oppressed, I know your house has been unclean, I'll make it clean and I'll fill it with goodness, righteousness, love, healing and mercy and you get to be my son, you get to be my daughter, Jesus gets to be your older brother. The gospel is God has sent Jesus to make a new family. Paul later picks this all up and he's writing to different churches and he calls them the household of God. The family of God. Where did Paul get that from? Where did Paul get the idea that Jewish believers in Jesus, Gentiles, so that would be people from all other nations worshipping Jesus, get to be the family? He got it from this story. He also got it from the Old Testament prophets. But he got it from here, from Jesus sitting there doing something which seemed culturally offensive and saying, who's my mum? Who are my brothers? Look, they're here. It's you. You're my family. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. You get to be in God's family. You get to be sons and daughters because you receive me and because you love God with all your heart. And Paul says the church isn't an organization, isn't another religion, isn't a business. It's a family. And then Paul goes on in another setting, both to Timothy and to Titus, and says make sure there's good elders in place. That's why what we're doing today is so important. That's why we're saying it's not about gifting, expertise, or strategy. It's about what men can we have helping rule in God's family. Because this is family. That's what it's meant to be. It doesn't always feel like it. But doesn't family be like that sometimes anyway? We have got five stunning, beautiful children that are serving Jesus. And people often look and think, wow, how have you done that? Some are in other countries talking about Jesus or they're serving in things in the UK. Listen, if you'd have sat at some of our meal times, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I can see the presence of God is just all over this meal time. You'd be thinking, as we were, can we get the UN in to come bring some peace force, please? Because they're strong personalities, as am I. Thanks, Stuart. Too loud at that point. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, it's all kicking off. 
really kicking off. But we're family. There were times when they would be kicking against me or kicking against mum, sadly too. But not at any one time did they think, I'll move family. They kind of wished they could have a different parent. Some of you are nodding, saying, I've heard that. Why do I have to be in your family? I'm going to choose my own family. But no one could because there's blood. There's joining. There's biology. We're joined to something. And often what can happen is when I teach this or others do and talk about church as family, we can be very quick to go to you. I don't feel like it. No one spoke to me this morning. Well, that leader hurt me. Now, let's be real. That happens at home. And some of you have been on the receiving end of real broken families, and it's been really hard. And you talk about church being family. It's like, no, thank you, because my family was horrible. No, the good news of the gospel is Jesus is love, mercy, freedom, wholeness, getting rid of spiritual oppression, bringing physical healing and emotional healing is in order to make a new family on the earth where God is Father, Jesus is our older brothers, and we get joined together. When we take communion, that's what we're celebrating. Lots of things we celebrate. The blood of Jesus. We are joined by a new blood now. That's what joins us. Not just the physical blood of mum and dad and the biological thing that makes us in a family, but the blood, he shed his blood. It's a powerful symbol in the Middle East, parts of Africa and India, where it's blood that makes family. Do you understand? We've got the same story. Jesus gave his life so that we could receive new life and be joined together. That's what this is. And when it breaks, when you get hurt, when you think, well, it doesn't feel like family, well, we do what Jesus did. We forgive. See, we only get to be in the family because Jesus forgave us. You see, if anyone can play the it's not perfect card, it's Jesus. Can't he? If anyone can kind of look and say, well, you're not being a great brother, younger brother, to some of us men, it's Jesus. If anyone can get to say to some of our sisters, and say, well, you're not being a great sister, it's Jesus. Because he's the only one who's perfect. But Jesus doesn't play that. You never hear Jesus say that to those who are really in his family. What you hear Jesus say is, you come to me and I'll forgive you. What you hear Jesus say is, hey, you've sinned. You're my brother, you've sinned. But there's forgiveness here because you're family. Because you believe, you've put your faith, your trust in me. And one of the most powerful testimonies we can give to the world is living as a family in forgiveness. Not living as a family who's trying to be perfect or who's trying to cover up hurt or pain, but a family who forgives. And that, it's, that's hard. There's a cost to that. I know that. But that's what it means to do the will of the one who sent Jesus because he came to forgive. Family then can be about our vision, it's important, strategy, organizing. You've got leadership team, trustees, ministry teams that you need to make things happen, as any family does. One of the things that our children found strange as we tried to teach them responsibility as they grew older was that food doesn't just appear on dinner plates. Someone works hard to put it there, and we'd like them to engage with this issue. 
and plates do not magically clean themselves. We don't simply go to the cupboard and pull out another set of plates and knives and forks. And clothes do not magically find their way into the washing machine and get cleaned and come back to them. And could they partake in helping make this happen? <sighs> then they wanted to be in another family. It's another one of those moments, you know. And it's so unfair. Make me work so hard. I've been working really hard at school and they want me to tidy my room. Anyway. <clears throat> There's a lot that needs to come out. There's a lot that just... It's just difficult. And that's just me. I mean, you wait until Heather comes. I'm saying this to help us in terms of church. You know, things need doing. But in the doing, the action and the organizing, let's never think we're meant to be a slick organization or a business. It's meant to be family. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's why Jesus is risking, shocking the culture that he's come to love by saying, no, you need to understand my mother, my brothers. No, it's people here. The religious rulers, they're saying I'm from Satan. And judgment will come to them because their house is empty. And so wickedness will fill emptiness. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't get hung up on demons and arid places. I believe demons are real. I believe demonic oppression is real. I believe spiritual oppression is real. What Jesus is saying is if the house is empty, even though he's come to make it clean, there's only one thing that fills an empty house and it's wickedness. And then the good news is, straight away Jesus says, well, I've come to make a new family where God's love and righteousness comes. And that's what the church is. So what's the outworking for us today, having prayed for elders? Well, it's what it was last week. It's what it will always be. You love each other. I mean, really love each other. Be quick to forgive. And that, sometimes that takes conversations. It does mean going to someone and say, look, please, that what you said, what you did, or I felt forgotten, or I felt excluded. But if you do that with hardness in your heart, it won't be sorted. You can only do that with love in your heart. Even when you're hurting. We've got a situation in our family, uh, even today, just being really real with you. We're just helping one of our children walk through that with someone who they've upset. And that other person's upset them too, but I'm trying to say, hey, you need to be the one that goes in with softness. Yes, you've got pain, and that needs sorting, but you need to be the one that models the very healing that you want to receive. Because that's how it hurts. That's how it happens. That's how it works. And I'm having this conversation with tears being shed. You think what they, what they really want is, is a cuddle, which they get, and want to be told that it's, it's all okay and it'll all be sorted out. No, it's not all okay. It won't all be sorted out. Unless there's some love and forgiveness flowing both ways. But we have to be like Jesus and do it first. Because the world, going back to what I said at the beginning, then we'll finish, is aching and longing for what real love is like. A love which doesn't mean you've got to look like this, dress like this, possess this, work in this place, have these qualifications. A love which says, hey, just hey, as you are, there's love. You're broken. You're from that background. You're from that family. You're from that situation. I don't even know how to talk to you in terms of the kind of lang- the music you're into or all the gaming that you're into because there's a whole other world out there, all kinds of stuff that me being an old man doesn't get. But I know how to love. And love can overcome language. And love can overcome differences. And there's an ache and a longing in our city and our communities to know what authentic love looks like. And it's God's love 
that assects us where we are and then walks with us as the power of God transforms us and changes us. And that the way that gets modeled and seen is here with one another. So keep loving one another. Keep accepting one another. Keep working through the hard stuff. Keep doing what you're doing, which is bringing others in to experience some of that and taste some of that. Because Jesus came first to make family. And that's why he risks offending everyone by saying, no, this is my mother and my brothers. Those who receive me love God and love their neighbor. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him. Band, you want to come up? That's what's happening next, isn't it? Taking a few minutes longer. But we need to worship. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us while the band are getting ready. Jesus, you're, you're amazing. With all the power that you had, with all the authority you had, you came and laid it down and emptied yourself because the thing that drove you wasn't the power or the authority or the influence, it was love. And you emptied yourself so that we could receive that love. And Lord, I know there's loneliness in this room. I know there's hurt and pain in this room, either from our own families or even within the family of God. I know, Lord, we can all of us be quick, and my hand's up, to say where I don't think church is always like family or community. But that's not the point, Jesus. We can't do it. But your love and your mercy can. So as we worship you, as we exhort you, as we round off this part of our time together, by getting you right at the center again. I pray, Lord, let your love flow to each of us, Jesus, again. Come and renew us, Lord. If there's healing and brokenness here, let your love come to us, please. If our hearts are hard, Lord, because we're hurting, Lord, soften us a bit. Help us, please. But, Lord, make yourself very, very real now in your love and the fact that what the gospel is isn't about an organization, a business, or anything else. It's about sons and daughters with God as our Father. And come renew us again in that, I pray. Amen.